Welcome to The Rest is Education. I'm Aaron Huber. I'm Ross Porthwick. And I'm David Marshall. In this episode, we thought we'd take a look at the World Cup and how we could use the World Cup as a teachable moment in our classrooms. When you say we, (laughs) I mean, should, should we be using the World Cup as a teachable moment? Because it's not on the curriculum. Can I also clarify that um, Aaron wanted to host this episode and I didn't want to ho- host this episode. And I think, Ross, you were just kind of happy to go along with it. So I would say no. I don't feel like it's necessarily that useful considering all the other things we've got to do in school. But Aaron, tell us why you think we should use the World Cup as a teachable moment, why it's relevant and, and what it's got to do with education. Because right. I'm a little bit in, in I'm, I'm a little bit unsure at the moment. But convince me. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna convince you uh, why you should, and then maybe that'll give you planning to do today for next week's lessons. Um, well, first off, just the obvious statement is the World Cup is the largest uh, athletic event uh, watched in the world. Uh, I think on a yearly basis, so it's it's got a sort of instant recognition and instant connection to probably quite a few kids in their lives and what they're watching at home. So you're you're touching on another topic that that they see, uh, so real world real world things. Uh, so beyond that, this particular World Cup has some issues uh, that tie into a lot of things that you could be, and probably a lot of people should be talking about in their classrooms anyway. So in the UK, we have something called PSHC, and you're probably going to want me to tell you what all those things mean, but it's physical. Homeroom. It's homeroom. Okay, can I just say it's homeroom? But it's it's also it can it can cover citizenship education. It covers physical education, health, social. Um, it's uh, a range of things where you talk to children about um, the things they need to know in the world, you, the things that are sort of going to affect them. Proper eating. So I would feel that if it belongs anywhere, maybe it belongs in this area. But I also know that we've got a lot of other things to cover in that as well. Um, so PSHC is a is a really huge topic for every year and a really important one. So why should it shunt out all of the things I've got stacked in there, Aaron? And and, and why should it be be there? Tell us a bit a little bit about the issues. Should we talk a bit about the issues it's raised? Yeah, I think that I think that maybe puts a better perspective on why this particular World Cup would be a, a useful conversation piece or or teachable moment in your classroom. Uh, one is the sustainable aspect when we're talking about carbon emissions, and I think Russ, you you shared something with us that was a bit startling about the uh, carbon emissions based on on this particular sporting event. Can you can you enlighten us on that? Yeah, so just something I saw, um, Mike Berners-Lee was quoted to have said, it looks as though the Qatar World Cup 2022 is going to be the highest carbon producing event of any kind apart from a war that humans have ever staged, which is quite a, quite a big statement because I think the uh, Qataris have been trying to, to argue the point that it's, it's actually one of the greenest World Cups that's ever been held. But um, there are different ways in which carbon footprint can be measured. And so FIFA, I think, had measured it at 3.6 million tons of carbon. And some other organizations, not least Greenpeace, have um, looked at 10 million tons. Uh, and, and so obviously there's 
quite a disparity there. Okay, so we've, we we can talk about the the carbon emissions. It relates very strongly to our sustainable development goals episodes that we've we've had recently. What else? What other issues are there that it's raising? I'm sure some people out there know, but I've I've not really followed the World Cup that closely. So t- tell me what's what's going on. All right, issue two beyond sustainability, climate change, and the future of our survival as a species, David. Uh, I is... get it. These are really important. I'm not saying they're not. <laughs> I know. Uh, all right. So migrant workers uh, is, a, is a massive issue. Um, there are not a lot of uh, Qataris in, in terms of population. And so the, the workforce that is built or that built these stadiums, that built these new roads, the new airport, hotels to make this possible um, have all or mostly been brought in from India, Nepal and Bangladesh. That on itself uh, should be OK. Uh, it's the conditions they're working in, living in, uh, and and this uh, sort of system of debt, how they can get out of there, that is a massive uh, sort of human rights issue. So we've got human rights uh, in terms of migrant workers. What's, what's really interesting about that for, for me is that Qatar was one of the poorest countries in the world, wasn't it, about 60 years ago? And now, am I right in thinking it's the wealthiest per capita country in the world or certainly one of the the top three or four i'm sure it's up there for sure yeah, yeah. and and so the the sort of the moral aspect of these people that are i think individually worth you know i think every person in the country is is worth over a hundred thousand us dollars something crazy like that um that you know qatari citizens i mean the the sort of moral argument of of them then bringing over people that are essentially just modern slaves and, and can't then escape uh, this, this they system. Can't, they can't leave, the, these migrant workers can't even leave the country without permission from their employer. Yeah. So it's some serious, some serious human rights issues involved there. So beyond that, uh, and this is when it gets into a little bit of uh, cultural and political issues, is uh, women's rights in Qatar is uh, definitely not... Uh, where Western nations would w- would look favorably upon it, as well as uh, LGBTQ, um, is that actually it's, that's a legal issue? It's illegal to to uh, be. L- I don't know if I'm saying it right. It's illegal to be LGBTQ. You can face jail time. But I think isn't it isn't it the case though that actually Qatar's almost been used as a bit of a scapegoat with that one because there were 69 countries, I think, at the last count that uh, make homosexuality illegal. I think over half of those, or almost half of those are in Africa. Uh, yeah, but are, yeah. Are, are those countries hosting the World Cup? Well, that, you know, that's a good point. But, but I think we're, what we're doing is we're using... Well, okay, fine. So your argument is we're using this as a moment to talk about it on a, on a global footing. But um, yeah. I, think, I think it's important not to just focus on, on Qatari law and of course, it links into Sharia law, doesn't it? Um, you know, really, we're looking at this through a Western lens as well. So that I mean, this, this is a huge discussion, isn't it? Because but, yeah, I mean, you could pull in the United Nations uh, uh, Declaration of Human Rights when this right to, to sort of give it a like, what's our what are we saying is acceptable to happen on this planet? Uh, to other humans and when what do we think shouldn't be happening to other humans on this planet right so we we i guess we need some sort of line to be able to judge that by um and i, I, know, I would I, say i, I totally I, agree I, I, I just think that we when we're 
teaching this, if we're teaching it, we need to be quite careful not to just say that these things are happening in Qatar. They're also happening, you know, across the world. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. But if we're using the World Cup as a teachable moment, that, that you know, you might sort of be, be the entry point to that conversation, wouldn't it? So we've got an international competition that's being watched by millions, many, maybe many, billions. many. I, I wouldn't, wouldn't, maybe su- wouldn't surprise me, right? We've got 8 billion people. Yeah, and so the argument would be you're saying is that because of that, uh, this is something that pe- people want to talk about in schools. This is something the children want to talk about, and uh, we can then sort of use this to talk about bigger issues. Is 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 that exactly. the kind of idea? And and then okay, if we I, I'm down with it. It sounds like a good a good thing to do. How do we then how do we then do that, Ross? You've raised some questions about our our Western lens, and um, is there a sort of format that you'd recommend that we we do this as teachers how do we address how do we how do we approach this what are what are i mean i mean i i think personally we need to clarify our own perspective a little bit don't we and and we we did a bit of this at the place we all work together but um just trying to to identify our own point of view and and i i don't know if you remember that exercise we did with the the blue glasses and the yellow glasses and seeing green and and all of that sort of thing but but we are perhaps at the point of of trying to impose our own cultural perspective onto a onto a different culture and i think just because that culture is hosting an international tournament you know they 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 don't necessarily have to to adapt to our way of thinking and i i think that is uncomfortable for some people but um yeah I, I, as i say it's a, it's a very it's a very big conversation so if, if we're looking at them through a lens right and we're looking at the world cup through a lens i think you could either take a broad view of it and look at it as a whole as an event and sort of all these you know sort of ideas we brought up about sustainability and human rights and and you know either come up with a conclusion based on that or you can take a deep dive into one of these aspects um and look at you know the the carbon footprint of it and and the impact that's going to have on our world or uh, the plight of these migrant workers and uh and and the bigger implications of that is there an argument to be saying that what we could do is apply a bit of metacognition to this um in some strategies that i'm sure teachers and schools already have so uh, we've all used uh, philosophy for children p for c as it's known uh, as a way of getting children to frame their own questions to come up with inquiry questions about something which are open-ended which have which don't have a yes or no answer but which allow children to discuss things without the teacher telling them this is right or this is wrong because i feel that the issues we're straying into here is is we have our own opinions we all come to something with our own um, biases and um, what we actually want to do as a teacher is to try and remove as best as possible ourselves from that from that situation to and allow the children to talk about it. Is, is that is that useful, or am I, or or is it actually are these issues so important that children don't come with enough information to them that they can't talk about these things uh, w- with enough nuance? I don't know which well, is right there. I think it's a little bit of both. It's a good opportunity to for them to learn about some of these things so they could have a more informed conversation about it, right? So I think what you're saying would work with with some research, with some 
with some sort of front loading of some information and that could be student based, right? Kids can, can do their own research on certain topics and then come in and have a conversation about it. I, I think, you know, it's a great opportunity to, to spread knowledge that isn't on the curriculum. Uh, certainly at that level, you know, if we're, if we're talking about teaching at, at primary levels and um, to be honest, even to key stage three, uh, the, I guess the United Nations, um, human rights statute of human rights you know that that could be some knowledge which is delivered you could actually look at sharia law and 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 talk about that you could you know definitely share uh cases and and, and you know all, all of that knowledge but um i i think maybe once you've done that you could look at why these things are are conversation topics so you could say you know what what is the problem here and then maybe the children give you the problem and you could use things like, I know we've mentioned recently mind maps, haven't we, and, and different tools, but you could use something like a problem tree and, and the pupils then frame the problem, uh, you know, ba- based on having, having looked at the knowledge. So they might say, well, someone, you know, existing in, in, in um, a culture whereby, you know, the, these rights are embedded would have a problem with this because... You know, so it's it's then actually removing, almost like removing the emotion, or certainly our emotion, from from that uh, activity. There's different views on this, aren't there? And and I I feel like I raised some of these questions when I sort of talked about P for C and then whether there's enough nuance. But the more I listen and the more I think about it, I I really want to come back to this question about us as teachers in the classroom and what we bring. And I think it's a question, not a statement here, but I. Can we be ourselves neutral? Should we be neutral? Or by being in that classroom, are we innately political by who we are, by our, by where we come from? And does that in itself impact the discussion? So we, we're legally, answer. you know, we're legally obliged to be politically neutral, though, aren't we? Because of our uh, the teaching standards and and actually the the, uh, you know, our, our profession legally requires us to be politically neutral. And so, whether those politics are internal or international, I think. Um, well, there's a reason for. It's them. also a case of sorry, Russ, to jump on you, but it's a it's a case of what's political and what's what's moral in some some of these, you know, like. I do a lot of debates in my classroom, but I would never ask a kid to debate an immoral point of view that, you know, that promoted intolerance or hatred, you know, because that, that in itself would be immoral to ask a kid to, to, I don't know, like just horrible examples would be to like justify slavery, justify, you know, any of these horrible atrocities. You never ask a kid to do that. Um, at least I wouldn't. So at some point there is a, there's a line between what's political and what what's ethical and what's moral as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, obviously we, we I mean, again, okay, so, oh God, the, the, honestly, guys, this is a huge topic because morals are, are not universal. You know, that, that is, is, a, is a problem. Cultures have different moral sets, and, and so it's, it's a very, very big conversation. Well, I think we can we can agree that it's That's it's not okay for um, a state to make people uh, of a particular gender or a particular sexuality illegal, and I would say that that's a moral issue 
uh, and I think it's a political issue. Um, and I think this is where the lines become blurred. Uh, and I can also understand why teachers would feel very uncomfortable having these conversations in a classroom without training or without without the experience that they necessarily have um, to bring to that. Um, I think, so I think it's a tricky it's a tr it's a tricky area of knowing quite what the right thing to do is. But I would say you can certainly I would go on Aaron with you on this. There are certainly things you can say are morally wrong, uh, as opposed to just a Western viewpoint. Yeah. So I think a good approach just is is goes back and we've been maybe talking about these too much is is using the sustain the UN Sustainable Development Goals and perhaps you know basing it. It's sort of an inquiry-based uh, approach to it, uh, you know, asking the kids a general question like, is this year's World Cup, uh, does it does it follow the UN Sustainability Goals? Is it a sustainable event? And then look at these themselves and have that conversation, you know, just foster those conversations in your classroom. Uh, that's maybe a way to approach it where you're not preaching to the kids, um, sort of your own views, or even using the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and, and holding up this World Cup to that and saying, you know, is it is it following this? So one, one thing I'd like to share recently was something I did. So the outset of the World Cup, um, the school I'm in at the moment decided that they, they would play a match, uh, you know, and it was optional as to whether the pupils wanted to go and watch it. Um, and I decided to use some form time to discuss it to almost you know light the fire so that the the pupils could discuss it and i should probably say that you know i've i've got um a group of scholars and you know they're, they're very much into having these conversations uh anyway and and so for them it you know wasn't a huge leap in terms of uh you know the, the ability there to to have these moral discussions and to talk about different cultural perspectives and, and that's something we've done in in theology lessons and, and what have you as well um and and so i thought the best way to start was to actually share the recent amnesty international report on qatar and it is i think it was 2019 it was written and i just put that on the board and and we had a circular discussion and it was very much like uh, the Sapire, you know, the, the P4C type um, discussion in the way that it was, it was scaffolded. And um, it was very interesting because some of the outcomes, even from, from football supporters, were that really we shouldn't be supporting this. And, and so, well, how, how, do you, how do you protest against it? And and again, this was their opinion and it, it wasn't universal amongst the group. But um you know, they, they would say, well, you know, it's going to be played on the television. The television is a, a recorded stat, a bit like this podcast. You know, we know how many listeners we've had across all platforms. And and so they felt that actually whether they went into the hall or not was irrelevant because the, the stat was the same. And so actually it was more powerful not to play it in the hall, but, but that they were powerless to stop it. And so then we talked about what it would require for them to to act in a way which would prevent it and and of course we've grown up in a democratic setting and and democracy is something we we teach as part of british values in phse and so they were they said well we would need to uh, of course vote on it and and uh, you know that that was something that i'm sure had they the power to to hold that vote 
they 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 would have put forward a good case either way. I'm not I'm not saying that we would have not played the match on on television because I think actually a majority of people were interested in watching it regardless, um, which I guess is another uh, topic of conversation. But um, yeah, it, it was certainly an interesting an interesting discussion. It maybe lasted twenty minutes and and had potential outcomes, and I think it was a useful exercise for its own sake. So. I really like the way this conversation has gone because I think it's it's really made me question a lot of things. So uh, thank you, Aaron, for raising it because it's made me think a lot. And and listening to you as well, Ross and, and Aaron, I'm, I'm going to be thinking about this for a long time. I guess it comes to the heart of what it means to be a teacher in the classroom, uh, bringing all the things you are, but also trying to allow children to develop their own thoughts and ideas and their knowledge and also it gets the heart of your time that you're using up in the curriculum and how that's best used Uh, and I think these are without having any clear answers I think these are really key questions for teachers and schools and governments to think about maybe that's 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 a bit of a cop-out I haven't really sort of gone back to your the fundamental points, Aaron, you're raising about the big issues of the World Cup, but I, I like the conversation because I think the conversation is, is is highly reflective and one that we could keep going and keep thinking about. Aaron. If, and you've said this before, David, is that the schools are sort of this the the new center of our communities, right? It's it's where people come together. And if we're not having this conversation in our school, you know, about things like this, where we're seeing maybe some things happen in the world that we we don't agree with that we think should should change, then is this conversation going to happen? I, I love the fact that we're using and, and, and repeatedly using the word conversation, because I think the danger here is that it's easier for schools to give an assembly on this, which is very much or usually very much one way uh, and, and perhaps token in, in that, you know, if you a few contributions might be taken from the the you know the hundreds of children sitting on the receiving end um whereas what we're saying is the conversation is what's important and and so maybe even if schools do dedicate an assembly to it as as almost like a stimulus there then needs to be some follow up in the classroom can i yeah. um, can i ask um ross you've you've taught this then you've 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 covered this uh through the amnesty report which sounds like a really fact-based uh, way to approach it um Aaron, i know you're currently not in a school but if you were going to approach it uh how would you start that off how would you how would you start that conversation uh i would start it with asking well not me asking questions but encouraging my students to ask questions and to to push those questions beyond the the you know those sort of basic level ideas um, so that they're thinking about this as more than just a sporting event. And, and they're starting to through developing sort of more detailed and thoughtful questions, start to, to make connections between some of these ideas that are, that, that encompass why we would talk about the world cup. So asking questions and then making those connections through, uh, you know, the development of the questions is what I would do maybe through like, just, just to give like a, an activity idea, you know, just building a systems map of, of questions and, and concerns about the world cup. 
that sounds that sounds like a really good way of engaging that dialogue and getting people talking and and inquiry led questions as well is there any resources are there any resources that teachers could pick up obviously we've got the amnesty report uh ross you've mentioned are there any other things that we could look at um i i the one i would probably go for would be i i usually show children news round which is a, a break break a breakdown of the news of the week or the news of the day for uh children in the uk uh, but is there anything else that you're kind of currently looking at or thinking about so there's a fantastic magazine called The Week Junior, which is is very good at reporting on on things as as and when they come up, and and you know in the same way that we're talking about these problems through the lens of the World Cup, it, it is the case that The Week Junior will will pick up on events happening all over the place all the time, and and so it's possible to weave these these problems and, and others into your PHSE through using that. Uh, and so maybe having that readily available in the form room is, is a, a pretty inexpensive thing to do. Um, I would also actually just encourage the use of a problem tree as a PHSE tool in general. And it's really a cause and effect map. If you're if you're in a thinking school environment, it's a bit like a cause and effect map, but, but turned through 90 degrees. And it's a bit more visual, particularly for younger children. And so the, the tree trunk is, is the problem and the roots are of course why why it is a problem the causes of the problem and and the branches then become the effects so that that's quite a visual thing to use and that that can be something you keep coming back to um and, and you know you can just keep adding to that and and so it could be that let's say with this one you're looking at uh i don't know free market capitalism and, and the problems associated with that and and the wealth gap in qatar and you know all of that sort of thing um, and and you might come back to that theme later on when studying another event. And maybe uh, to add another kind of technique, I just thought of when you're when you're talking about that, Ross, is um, the one that we learned in the thinking school, uh, which is a, putting a frame of reference around it, where you could then sort of put a box around all of that thinking. This is the metacognition, and you can ask a question such as, you know, how does that relate to us or you know, what's our role in this? Uh, so that there's some sort of, again, that lens is being examined. You're kind of starting to turn the questions on yourself as well as on this country there that's that's doing all these bad things. Uh, you're kind of starting to bring yourself into the picture. So you're not just seeing yourself as an impartial observer. Uh, you're sort of starting to sort of say, oh, you know, what's my role in this? How do I relate to it? Bringing some other things in. And that and that's the big thing, isn't it? It's about empowering the children to make change. And and a bit like we said in previous episodes, you know, they they need to be able to do something about it, even even on a local level. Yeah, and it, it, and what what I was going to say is is looking at it from uh, through different scales, which is I think pretty similar to to what you were saying, David. Is just a different approach I use with it. Is there's global, there's regional and local. So this is a global event. You know, you can look at it from a global perspective, but what you know, I think with the action piece that becomes uh, more meaningful at the local level. So this is happening in, in Qatar. This is a FIFA. This is the world's biggest sporting event. I'm a 10 year old kid. I can't impact this global event very much, but on a local level, this is what I can do to, to bring my future to the place I want it to be in response to what's happening there. I don't know about you guys, but I've really felt like this generation of children and for the past few years has been more 
aware of things in the world than I ever was as a child. If you think that I was probably about uh, eight when the Berlin Wall went down, and I have almost no recollection of it at all happening in the news. And the, the children in our primary schools are, you know, sort of four and a half upwards to, to 11. And they have a, I mean, they, they have a really, I wouldn't say nuanced, but they have a, a lot better knowledge of things happening in the world than I did when I was their age. And it's extraordinary what they know about when you, when you ask them or what, what they want to talk about. There seems to me just to be a, a huge shift away from really British and American news more towards global news. And, and I think how that's being reported again through things like The Week um, and, and sort of on an adult level, you know, the BBC World Service is, is great. But um, there's organizations like Al Jazeera, which, you know, they, they provide like a truly global news. Um, and And so, yeah, I think we're we're definitely more aware i think as adults and and i think for for the peoples it's sort of just being diluted in a, a digestible format maybe more more readily um so yeah no i think it's great so to wrap this up gents i'm going to come back to you david you were not convinced at the start i am still convinced that the this particular year's world cup is a great teachable moment uh, if I if I was going to the classroom next week, I would be talking about it uh, in some form uh, with my with my students. Where where do we leave you, David? I think that it's 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 worth a bit of time to talk about, but I would probably talk about it in a a form period, which I think you call homeroom, uh, and I'd give it the the I definitely want to give it some space to for children to speak and to to have to listen to their thoughts and i'd probably also you know put on news round get the week junior and give them some context if they weren't sure of it so that they had a bit of information so they're not just coming at it without without knowledge but i'd also you know because they're primary school i'd also want to sort of ensure that their knowledge was appropriate um so i think using resources which are tailored for children which aren't aren't going to be scary or kind of um upsetting i think is also really important for for my particular setting, I think it maybe uh, changes what you use when you're in a secondary school, particularly in higher education. You'd have access to a, a lot more sort of adult resources uh, and adult news. But yeah, for, for me, I think it would be about kind of uh, engaging, um, asking questions and also giving a little bit of extra information. So, But I really appreciate the, the conversation we've had uh, in this episode. I think it's been really enlightening. And I, as I said before, I think I'm going to be thinking about that for a while and um, we'll maybe come back to some of these questions on another episode or other episodes. I'd love to hear if any of the listeners out there did, did or are using this as a teachable moment and how they, how maybe they did and approached it with their students. So if, uh, if you would mind, if you're listening and you're using the world cup in your classroom, if you could let us know what you're doing and how it went and uh, we would love to talk, maybe talk about how some of those things happened in a, in a future episode. And, and of course, you know, we, we really are interested in the pupils. David, you mentioned like people voice there being so important, but, but I think even more so people action. So how are they turning the discussion into to action within their environment? 
And, you know, an obvious one with this is, is gender equality in sport. So, you know, is that something that they are seeing in their own schools? And, you know, are they, are they trying to change it? And, and I know girls cricket is becoming incredibly popular, certainly in the southeast of England at the moment. And, and rounders as a, as a inter-school sport has, has been shelved. And we're seeing more and more mixed cricket teams. Is that the case across football and, and into rugby and things like that? You know, is it hockey? Is that, is that happening? Um, and if it's not, why not? And, and is this an opportunity to start that conversation? And I think really it has to be the pupils driving it if that's what they think is important. So for me, a more teachable moment uh, as someone who works in a girls' school was uh, the England women's team winning the Euros this summer. And I'm not at all into football. I wasn't even going to watch the game, but I heard some cheering and I knew it was on and I turned it on and I was just blown away by that final those final moments and the girls at, at my school were just thrilled and it was just a moment of of national joy that I rarely feel from 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 football or, or many things actually and that for me was perhaps more significant uh, in my setting than I think the World Cup is. Uh, one other aspect I think with student action or bringing uh, empowerment to students is as uh, the World Cup this year is in a safe space for the LGBTQ community to maybe use that as a talking point to make sure that the uh, athletics at your school or in your community are and what, uh, you know, maybe taking, having students sort of have that conversation of uh, to ensure that 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 part of the community does feel that athletics are a safe space. I think that's a good point to end on. And so thank you, Aaron, for, for bringing this up because I, I don't think we would have discussed it without... In fact, I know we wouldn't have discussed it if it was just down to me and David, so thank you. Um, you've been listening to The Rest is Education. I'm Ross Borthwick. I'm David Marshall. And I'm Aaron Huber. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and you can also email us at therestiseducation at gmail.com.